How's the 11 a.m. crew doing? That's right. Um, I've been a member of Vertical Church for about five years. I've been pastoring Vertical for just shy of six months. And uh, this series that we've been doing on our pillars, we I know very well. Um, but each year there's still more to learn with each pillar. And those pillars being unceasing prayer, unapologetic preaching, unafraid witness. And today we're going to be learning about unashamed worship and see what God has to um, say to us in our worship. But I want to start with a story. Uh, my mom is one of my, one of my heroes. Um, God has used her to disciple me and many others for, for years. And she holds such reverence to the word of God and, um, and obedience. And, and she loves to worship wholeheartedly at church or at the fireplace during Christmas time. And uh, she has such a deep and rich timbre to her voice, and it, it just reflects like a deep reflection and love for the Lord. Around the time she put her trust in Christ, she started singing and serving on the worship team at the church we grew up in, and she was around 40 years old at the time, so this is about 20 years ago. And um, she was called to do it by God, and she had the gift for it. However, the first year was mainly wrestling with the phobia of singing in front of others. And um, every time she would lead worship from the stage, her breathing would tighten up so that she could barely get any air out to sing. And uh, through God's grace and a lot of practice, she was able to get it to a manageable level to sing uninhibited and unashamedly lifting her hands up to her Savior. And uh, so after, after a year or so of serving on the worship team, she got a letter. Um, it, it was from someone from the congregation, but it was unsigned and anonymous. Um, and it read something like this. It, it, it read, to my mother, it said, the way you lead worship is boastful and arrogant. Um, and then it said, you should leave the worship team and stop making worship team about you. And guys, this letter was so venomous, it even made comments about that she didn't have the right body type to be on stage for worship. And my mom, after reading this, was so devastated and doubtful. I've never seen anything more, more dampening to her spirit than, than those words. You know, she'd just finally overcome the nerves and singing in front of others. And uh, then she received accusations um, and then felt ashamed and confused. And shame and confusions are the last things that God wants us to worship from. He wants us to come with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strengths in joy and in loving and in thanksgiving and assurance that we are his children. And um, for vertical to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, um, we must live, lift high the name of Jesus in unashamed Worship, And the reason we emphasize unashamed in our worship is because we have the tendency or the temptation to bring shame into our worship. And to get us started, if you could open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 4, and we'll be starting in, in verse 7, reading until verse 24. Um, and as you turn there, just to briefly to describe the scene, what's going on, Jesus is... Um, sitting beside a well and asking a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. 
If you're there, say holla. Thank you. All right. Um, just to deviate from Chris a little bit. Um, all right. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from himself, drank it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him, or that, that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband. Here you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And listen to these last two verses. It says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So those last two verses that we just read together are where we derive our pillar of unashamed worship. And we worship with an unashamed spirit and sing unashamedly the truth of Scripture. And, and, and how is worship defined in this passage specifically? There's, a, there's, there's another meaning to worship that means being a living sacrifice for God, right? You offer your service as worship. Um, but here, the word that's in Hebrew that Jesus uses is called proskuneo, which means to prostrate oneself, to revere and to adore the object of your worship, that is God. Um, and that's why we worship the Lord God in adoration, through song and lift high the name of Jesus. But when we think of unashamed worship, I think we tend to think of uh, a couple of specific things. One is the, the, the actual act of worship we think about. Like, I'm not afraid to lift up my hands, which is good. We shouldn't be ashamed about that. There's another piece in which we are not to be ashamed of the truth that we sing together, right? We shouldn't be ashamed about that. But I think there are other areas of shame that we bring into our worship to consider. And I think there are some in this passage that we can look through. Um, 
what are some things that we can bring into our worship that are sh- uh, shameful or be ashamed in our worship? And uh, I think just the first one is status. Um, we can be ashamed of others and ashamed by others. Notice in verse 9 that when Jesus asks for a drink, the first thing the woman puts into question is her own ethnicity. Due to various incidents in history between the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jews made no effort in having business with Samaritans. The hate between the groups was so apparent that the woman is in disbelief that a Jewish person is even talking to her or, or, or dealing with a Samaritan. Even the smallest deal in the world is in, you know, giving them a cup of water, um, let alone a Samaritan woman dealing with the Messiah of the Jews, as she would later find out. My, uh, my grandfather was a, a staunch atheist until the day that he died. Um, I actually, I, I really admired him. He was a, he was a, a good provider for his family. Um, but just weeks before his death, he died on a, a, a hospital bed of cancer. We, we prayed over him, and he, and he said to us that God is a delusion. Um, he had a lot of hardness in his heart towards God, but that hardness started uh, when he attended a church for the first time. He recounted to me his first attendance at a worship service when he was very young, and he recalled that there were members in the congregation that glared at him and, had, and spoke comments about how poorly they dressed as a family. And that they were very, they're of low income and financial status and they just didn't have money for clothing. Um, and they felt, you know, vitriol against some members of the congregation and they never, they never came back. Um, the members of the congregation that put silent judgment on my grandfather and his family um, forgot about them after the service. But my grandfather remembered that forever and carried it with him when he left the church ever since. And to my knowledge, with, th- with this church body, I haven't detected any, any of that type of prejudice where it would lean on any, anything like, like racism or looking down on social status. But do we have the temptation to be ashamed of others on the status of their worship? You know, or, or, or how they worship, right? Are they too immobile? Are they too dancey? Do, do we silently observe someone from the corner of our eye because they're being too charismatic or maybe not moving enough? I think maybe the bigger problem outside of being ashamed of others is that we're afraid to be shamed by others. Right? Like we, the, the, the thoughts in our head that we think, you know, I don't want to lift my hands too high or move too much because I don't want to cause distraction or discomfort to the people around me. And no to both, emphatically no. We don't worship God according to man's preferences and comfort. We worship God according to God's preferences. Take Psalm 47 that says, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Or or, or Psalm 95 that says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. 
That's unashamed worship because there's no room for judgment of anyone if we are worshiping the Lord in his way and his preferences. If we're coming in with shouts of joy, that can't be, that can't be overridden by any judgment on others because we are so preoccupied and busy with marveling at the glory of God. So we can be ashamed, we can bring shame in our status, right? We can be ashamed of others or shamed by others. The second way is sin, being ashamed of ourselves. In verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. When I read this story for the first time, I asked the question, why did Jesus feel the need to specify how many husbands this woman had? You know, was he trying to like rub salt in the wound? And if we know our Jesus, that's not the case at all. In this exchange, Jesus is displaying his full knowledge of this woman, revealing to her that he knows her past and to establish to her that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He knows her past sins and present sins fully, but he does not condemn her. He instead exhorts her to worship in spirit and in truth and to come as she is. Is there a shame that you carry in the sanctuary with you because of how you lived the week before? Do you feel yourself unqualified or unjustified to lift your hands up to Jesus because they're dirty. Let us remind ourselves with what Jesus says in Luke 18 about the one who knows that he is a sinner. This is the words of Jesus. It says, he, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he would beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So at our worship services... Sinners are not only welcome, it is a requirement. Anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ is justified and therefore has peace with God and therefore worships the God who saved them freely and openly with no shame. Sin isn't meant to be a worship suppressant, but a sovereign strategy of the Creator to lavish mercy onto you. Lamentations 3 says He waits for you. And not only waits for you, but there's something in the waiting that he is also holding. Lamentations 3 says, he waits to be gracious to you. If you wait to get good, 
to worship God, you will never worship God. Come approach boldly before the throne of grace with confidence, not in your own righteousness, but the confidence that's found in Jesus' Christ's righteousness alone that has been imparted to us as his children. So we can be ashamed in status, ashamed of others, ashamed by others. There's sin. We can be ashamed of ourselves. And the third one is suffering. We can be ashamed of God. When reading about the woman of Samaria, we get a glimpse of her past and present. Knowing she had five husbands either means she's had five divorces or has buried five husbands or some mix of the two. I can't imagine burying or divorcing one spouse. Me personally, I just got engaged last week, and we, thank you very much. I proposed, and she said no. I'm I'm kidding. She's right there. Hey, honey. Um, Yeah, but, um, so Rach and I, when we have these discussions of like, I truly don't know where my life would be without you. I am so thankful for you. I can't imagine you in my life. I can't imagine going through those, that loss, whatever it may be, five times. So this woman is sincerely hurting and suffering. And so along with potential shame from sin, we can bring, we can bring potential shame in our suffering. And the shame I'm referring to is not the shame of like feeling ourselves too weak to worship. Hey, and guess what? If you're feeling too weak to worship, you're in a great spot because you can come to the Lord freely and openly because he said he is near the brokenhearted. He is, those who, he, are, he is with those who are crushed in spirit and he will give you the strength and the heart to come to him and worship and glorify his name. And it's not about the deficiency of our strength, but the sufficiency of our Savior who covers our weaknesses. The shame that I want to highlight is when we are suffering and we are ashamed of God questioning him on why he is allowing our suffering in the first place, right? How can I worship unashamed when he's allowing X? You know, it's in these moments when we can't see fully the good plans and purposes of the Almighty to reflect on the one who has suffered on our behalf, Jesus Christ. And just know that when King Jesus was suffering on the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And think about that. He cried, the Son of God, the perfect one cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you are approaching worshiping God, lamentation may actually be necessary when you're going through suffering. If you're feeling a hardness in your heart and shame towards God because of your suffering, remember that the most brutalizing and evil act in history done to God's, was done to God's one and only Son, and it became the greatest good, the greatest act, and it became salvation for his people. Let's reflect on Psalm 66. It reads, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. 
You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Suffering is not meant to be a worship suppressant, but it is another reason to bless the Lord and suffer along with the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, as you're worshiping. For we must also suffer with him in order to be glorified with him. So we can be ashamed of others. We can be ashamed by others. We can be ashamed of our sin. We can be ashamed of God and our suffering. And the fourth one, we can be ashamed by lies of Satan. This is from the lips of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is Jesus on the nature of Satan. You know what Satan hates the most? He hates the worshiping of the sons, or he hates the worshiping of the Son of God. And you want to know how we know that? Do you know what we'll be doing in heaven for all of eternity? Right? We won't be preaching. We won't be praying because we'll be seeing God face to face and talking with him. We won't be witnessing because everyone will know the name above all names. We will be worshiping for all of eternity. Our faith will become sight and we will look upon our God face to face, marveling and taking part with the angels that never cease to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when we gather in this place, worshiping in the congregation with the people of God, Satan will do everything in his dark power to disrupt that worship, to disrupt your worship of God specifically. Multiple ways he does that. Technical difficulties. Sickness. Construction. I'm kidding. It's actually good. Construction's good. Thank you to the guys fixing the roads. Seriously. But you know what Satan's main weapon is? It's lies. He's going to lie to you before you walk in here. He lies to us saying, you know what? You're not the right sort of people to worship here. You should walk, turn around and go home. Or he will lie to us saying, oh man, look how that person, person worships, right? You should be worshiping like them. You don't belong here. Or maybe he's saying, put your hands down. You look like a freak worshiping. And it's just the, the lies will never end. He lies to us saying, look at this rap sheet that you got here. Look at this list of sins. You think you can worship God with all these mistakes? Look at the guilt that you carry. Keep your voice down. God doesn't want to hear it. He lies to us saying, God doesn't care about you. If he did, why would he let you suffer like this? He's not on your team. That's a lie. How are we supposed to worship in the midst of lies? And Jesus gives us the answer, we combat lies by spirit and truth. Verses 23 through 24 says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
when my mom got that anonymous letter saying that she was boastful and flaunting in her worship and tried to shame her to quit, she had full confidence that in her heart that she was worshiping God out of joy and out of delight, you know, and, and confirmed by her worship team members. They didn't get any of those senses at all from her, you know. So when she got that letter, she was, she was devastated for about an hour. God being faithful called my mom to, to show that scathing letter to the worship team, and they concluded that this letter didn't need to be signed to know who it was from. It wasn't ultimately from a member of the congregation. It was from Satan. It was from the devil. One of the worship team members said, doesn't it bother you that you don't know who it's from? And my mom said, I know who it's from, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. My mom knew that it was from the evil one, trying to shame her from worshiping God out of delight. So this is what she did. I, I remember she, she went into the kitchen. She took, the, the, she took a cake pan, and she took the letter. She put it in the cake pan, and then she lit it on fire. She's been leading worship and praising God in the local church for over 20 years, unashamedly. She knew of the nature of the spirit that wrote that letter and she knew that it was a lie and she continues to follow the master's command of worshiping in spirit and truth, right? The Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's how you know it's the right spirit is that if you put your trust and faith in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit telling your spirit that you're his. At Vertical, we believe that Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. That's right. He is the Word of God in flesh. So everything that's in the Word of God, we believe because Jesus is the truth. So just as we unapologetically preach the truth, we unashamedly worship God and sing the truth. Pastor Matt said to me very wisely, he said, we remember a melody of truth better than we do a line in a sermon. And along with that truth comes the due emotion of our spirit in singing with all of our hearts and praising his name because of the hope that is in Christ, Jesus, the truth. There's plenty of shame that we can always bring to our worship, whether that be sin, suffering, status, or lies by Satan, but God, being rich and merciful, declares you unashamed, no condemnation, and covers you with the righteousness of his Son, Jesus, in which we enter freely and, opening, and openly. The veil is torn. Enter, son or daughter. This Sunday we come to revere and adore the Son of God in spirit and truth, unashamed. Would you pray with me?